This morning we finish our little mini-series in September as we get ready to begin our practice of regular weekly communion next Sunday. We finish our sermons for the month of September on communion. And this morning, as our last message, we consider communion a strengthening through Christ. And so we're going to look this morning at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. We'll kind of bounce around a little bit too, so keep your Bible open. Uh, But we'll primarily focus in on verse 11 this morning. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 10 and 11. Let's give our attention now to the words of the living God. The prophet Isaiah says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those who are with young. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And may God now bless us as we consider his word this morning. There's an old country music song from the mid-80s. Some of you may know it. Some of you maybe weren't even born that yet. Uh, if you're like me, you weren't born yet in the 80s. Not to date myself too much there. But it's a song that I, I didn't know uh, my Uncle Dan was covering. My Uncle Dan, my father's brother, uh, him and my dad would often play guitars together. They still do when they visit. And uh, they would sing. And my Uncle Dan makes up all kinds of songs. He likes to write music and makes his own guitars. He's a smart man. He's also a minister, so he's got a lot going for him. But my Uncle Dan used to sing a song called Daddy's Hands, and I did not realize he was covering a song. I thought he had made it up. I thought he was singing a song about my grandfather Gary, uh, who I knew, and just passed a few years back. But it's actually a cover. I didn't realize, but I have to take credit from my uncle and give it to Miss Holly Dunn, who originally sang the song in the 80s. And she's singing a song about her father's hands and remembering what it was like to experience them. And she notes the contrast that a father's hands can have between being very gentle and soft and being very firm. She says in the chorus, Daddy's hands were soft and kind when I was crying. Daddy's hands were hard as steel when I'd done wrong. Daddy's hands weren't always gentle, but I've come to understand There was always love in daddy's hands. She came to this realization that all the time, whether he was being firm with me for being in the wrong or whether he was comforting me when I was sad, all the time my father's hands were full of love. And that's the message that Isaiah had to bring to the people of God in his day. Isaiah chapter 39, the chapter right before this one, he has had to announce to the people of God that the Babylonians are coming against them and they're all going to be taken into exile. Their kingdom is going to be cast down. Their capital city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. God is going to judge them for their sins by sending the Babylonians against them and everything is going to be taken. Look back with me at chapter 39 and verse 5. Isaiah is speaking to King Hezekiah and he tells King Hezekiah in verse 5, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. 
and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. He's telling King Hezekiah, God's judgment is coming against you, Hezekiah. God's judgment is coming against his own people. Why? Because of their sins. For generations, God's people have been going astray, worshiping other gods, seeking other lovers besides the true and living God, demanding that God share the limelight with their own ideas about who he should be. And finally, the hammer is falling. Finally, enough is enough, and God is bringing the discipline. God is bringing the judgment against his own people because of their sins. And it's going to be an awful judgment. It's arguably going to be one of the worst times in the history of God's people. In fact, in my personal Bible reading, I'm reading through the book of Jeremiah right now. And in Jeremiah, Jeremiah has the sad duty of announcing this impending judgment to the people of God. And you read it and you see they do not want this. They're not welcoming this. Can you imagine if I had to get up in front of you this morning and preach to you that God was going to send the Chinese against the United States of America to judge your nation, to take you away, to destroy you, and that the answer was not to fight back? The answer was simply to lay down and submit? That's not a very popular message, and it wasn't for Jeremiah either. That's the unhappy duty of some prophets is to announce God's coming judgment, God's wrath against sin. If, if it was true of Holly Dunn's father, it's infinitely more true of God that when his people do wrong, his hand is hard as steel. But it's also true, infinitely true, that although God's hand is hard as steel against the sins of his people, his hands are gentle against his people themselves. That's the dichotomy. That's the contrast. It sounds like a contradiction. People hear this today with all of our warped, perverse understanding. We don't understand truth. And so we hear messages like this and we can't fathom it. But what the Bible says is that at the same time, God has infinite hatred and wrath against your sin. But also at the same time, in equal measure, God has infinite love and mercy for you if you come to him through Christ. And it's always been that way. God has always and will always hate and despise sin because it's ugly and vile and wicked. He hates it the way that you would hate a cockroach in your bed at night. But he also has infinite gentleness and love and peace and grace for anyone who comes to him through his son. God hates sin. God loves sinners. That has always been true, and it will always be true. It was true in Isaiah's day. It's true today, and we see it in Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11. See, Isaiah had to tell the people, God's judgment is coming against you. But immediately on the heels of that message, God has another message. Look with me at chapter 40, verse 1. Right on the heels of God saying, I'm sending a foreign army to come destroy your city and take you away, God then says, verse 1, comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God says, yes, my judgment is coming against you. 
But right on the heels of that judgment is coming mercy for you. Right on the heels of my wrath against your sin is coming love for sinners. Comfort my people. Comfort Jerusalem. You notice that God gets at who the ultimate enemy of his people is. And he says, I'm going to deal with your ultimate enemy. The ultimate enemy of God's people were not the Babylonians. It was their sins. That's why God says, speak comfort, cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, her sins, is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God looks at this situation. He says, I hate sin. I hate your disobedience. I hate your rebellion against me, but I love you. And so I'm going to deal with this thing. I'm going to deal with this problem that is separating you from me and bringing my judgment on you. I'm going to deal with your sins and bring them to an end so that then I can be gracious and loving towards you. We see that contrast in verses 10 and 11. Verse 10 talks about the strength of God. It talks about how his strong arm is going to come and rule for him. When it says his reward is with him, it's not that God is getting a reward. The idea is that God is bringing reward. And not all rewards are necessarily good. We always get what we deserve. God says, I'm coming with what you deserve. His work is before him. And you think that sounds bad, right? But God says, I'm going to come with strength for you, not against you. I'm going to come with my strength against your sin, but for you. That's why the strong-handed God can come. And in verse 11, Isaiah says he will feed his flock like a shepherd. Yes, he's going to come with a strong hand. Yes, your father's hand, your heavenly father's hand is as hard as steel against sin. But that same hand, when your sins are taken away, he feeds you like a shepherd. He takes care of you like a shepherd takes care of his sheep. Notice verse 10, his arm shall rule for him. And then at verse 11, he will gather his lambs with his arm. The same arm that crushes the nations, the same arm that destroys sin, is the same arm that takes up little lambs and holds them gently and he carries them in his own bosom. That's the image that Isaiah gives us in verse 11. The same God who has this infinite, unending wrath and righteous Hatred of sin is the same God who says, I want to take you up like a little lamb in my arms and I want to carry you in my bosom. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. That's what communion is all about. At communion, you have both of these things put on full display for you. You see God's hatred of sin when you come to the Lord's table. Why? Because the Bible says that when you come to the Lord's table, you behold the cross. You see the work of Jesus on the cross. And what was God doing at the cross? Well, one thing that God did at the cross was he revealed his wrath against sin. He showed exactly what he thinks of our sins. If you've ever wondered, hey, what is, what is God's opinion of sin, right? What does he think about it? Does he kind of like let it slide? Is he, is he sort of like, you know, kind of a wishy-washy parent where it's just kind of he's just too tired to deal with it? No. The cross tells us that God hates sin and God must deal with sin. See, the cross tells us that God hates sin so much that the only possible solution to sin was the death, the brutal death 
and punishment of his only begotten son. The only way that this could be solved justly was for Jesus Christ to die. The only righteous man who's ever lived, the only innocent man who never deserved to die, had to die for sin. And the cross is where we see God's hatred of sin pictured. Friends, when we come to the Lord's table next week, you need to know that the Lord's table is set for sinners, but it is not set for people who love sin. There's a crucial difference. The table of the Lord is set for sinners, but it's not set for those who love sin. That's why, as the catechism question rightly points out, and as the Word of God says, we should examine ourselves. We've got to look at my own heart before I come to the table. What is my attitude towards sin? Am I cherishing things that God hates? Am I holding desperately, tightly onto things that put Christ on the cross? Then I'm not right. And I need to change. I need to get right with God. I need to repent. The Lord's table is set for sinners, but it is set for sinners who have learned to hate their sin the way that God hates their sin. Sinners who hate the sins of the world, but especially they hate their own sins. I've often found that it's easy for me to hate other people's sins. It's sometimes very difficult for me to hate my own sins. Maybe you've had that experience too. You hear a message about some sin and you go, man, I wish this person would have heard that message, right? I wish this person would have been there because they really needed to hear that message. Well, friend, God didn't put that person there. He put you there. It's very easy to hate other people's sins. It's very hard. It takes the Holy Spirit, in fact, to hate our own sins. And when the Christian soul looks at sin because of the Holy Spirit in us, we now have God's eyes and we see sin for what it really is. When we're in sin, when we're lost, we look at sin and we view it as this sort of cuddly thing. We love it. It's like a little pet we can keep with us. But when we get God's sight, we see sin for what it really is. We see it in its ugliness. We see it for the evil that it really is. We see it as worthy of death. When we see sin the way God sees it, we start seeing sin the way that a cancer patient would see their tumor. It's attached to me, but I don't want it attached to me. I want it dead and out of me. That's why the Bible says, Colossians 3, verse 5, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Put to death those things in you that are earthly and worldly, fornication, uncleanness, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Paul doesn't say, but when you come face to face with your sins, you sort of go, eh, okay, right? Everybody's got problems, right? We all, we all sort of fall down sometimes. No big deal. Paul says, no, it is a big deal. When you look at sin, you need to see sin like a cancerous tumor because that's what it is. It's this thing that is leaching life out of you, and if you don't take care of it, it's going to kill you. And our response as Christians to our sins needs to be that of the cancer patient. I have yet to ever encounter a person going through chemo who learned to love their tumors. Not everybody likes chemo. chemo. Chemo is a very unpleasant thing to go through. We didn't have to do it for very long, but it was rough. It's hard on the human body. 
But cancer is harder. Cancer is worse. That's why we do chemo. We say, I would rather endure the suffering of chemo so that this wicked, ugly, disgusting thing in me might die rather than live with it and die with it. That's the Christian's attitude towards sin. The table of God is set for sinners, but it is set for sinners who've learned to hate their sin because we see that God hates our sin. Let me just go speak at an aside for a moment. Um, I shared about this on social media, but if you don't follow us on social media, it, it is one of the greatest deceits of our day. This idea that somehow uh, the thought of being separated from our sins means a lessening of who we are. That's the lie that so many people believe today. We hear about certain sins and we think, if God demands that I get rid of those things, somehow I'm going to be less, right? Because that's, that's who I am. That's part of me. We see it in the LGBTQ issue. We see it in issues like adultery. We see it in issues like drug abuse and alcohol abuse. We see it in how we treat people. There are people walking around today who are nasty to others and who are short-tempered with people and who blow up at people at the drop of a pin. And they say, well, that's just who I am, right? You don't know how I grew up. You don't know what kind of home I grew up in. That's just kind of who I am. Well, God says that those things are despicable and wicked. And his call for you is to get rid of them and put them to death. And people say, well, doesn't God love me for who I am? One of the greatest tricks of the devil in our day today is this idea that somehow sinners cannot be separated from their sins. That somehow your sin is an inherent part of who you are. Friends, God did not create you with sin originally. God did not create us to have sin originally. Sin is an intruder. Sin is a leech. It's a parasite. And it's going to destroy the soul if it's not taken care of. Young people, this is a lie that you will hear today. And you need to be ready to push back against it. Because the best news is that you can be separated from your sins. If you can't be separated from your sin, then you cannot be forever in the presence of God. The best news for you today is that it's possible to be separated from your sins and that your sins are not an inherent part of who God has made you to be. And God in Christ will take care of sin for you. That's the second thing we see at the cross. And it's the second thing we see at the Lord's table. It's not just that God hates sin, but that God deals with sin. God handles our sin. He handles our sin. He takes it away. Jesus dies for sin so that he can take it away. The psalmist says that the Lord removes our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. In other words, Christian, for you today, when God looks at you, what he has done for you in Christ is he has made it so that your sin and who you really are, they're like magnets, right? I was playing with uh, my nephews on our trip this week up at our, our cabin in Michigan. And uh, my mom has a chess board at the cabin up in Michigan, and it's got magnetized pieces, right, to sort of prevent the scattering of pieces everywhere. It makes it a little easier, keep it clean. So there's little magnets on the bottom of all the pawns and all the bishops, all the kings and queens, and those magnets keep them attached to the chessboard. If 
but my nephews and I had a moment where we were sort of playing around and we were realizing that they were magnetized so you could try to push the two pieces together and they wouldn't come together, right? They wouldn't touch. They can't touch, right? You can try and sit there and push, but the magnetized force is so great that you can't get those two things back together again. God says that that's what he's done for you and your sins in Christ. He has made it so that you and your sins are no longer compatible. He takes your sin away from you. He judges it on the cross. Jesus dies for them in your place so that now you can live separate from your sin, forgiven from your sin, and not judged for your sin. That's why it's good news that we can be separated from our sin. God can judge and kill your sin over here while you live. The worst thing that could happen to the human being is to never be separated from our sin. That's ultimately what happens to those who do not inherit eternal life. That's why they go into everlasting condemnation. That's why hell exists. Because men and women, boys and girls, choose not to be separated from their sins through Christ. They say, no, no, I'm not giving this up. I have to keep this little tumor in me that's killing me. I have to keep it. It's part of me. I will not lose it. And guess what happens? You die. You die. Hell is for those sinners who will not be separated from their sins. Heaven is for those sinners who want nothing more than to be separated from their sins. That's what God does for you in Christ. So that now, Christian, when God deals with you, he does not deal with you according to your sins anymore because you've been separated from them. He's taken them away from you. And now God can deal with you as you really are in Christ. And he can treat you not according to your sins, but according to his grace. That's what verse 11 gets at. It's this idea that once God has judged the sins of his people, once God has dealt with your sin and taken it away from you, now he no longer sees you according to your sin. He sees you as his little lambs, his sheep. And he wants to feed those little sheep. That's what happens at the Lord's table. The Lord's table doesn't just tell us how much God hates sin. It tells us how much God loves you. It tells us how much God desires to save you and to bring you into his heavenly kingdom and to feed you with his own body and blood. That Lord's hand that is hard as steel towards your sin is gentle towards you, Christian. The Lord's hand that is strong against your sin is gentle with sinners. Any sinner who comes to God through Christ does not receive wrath for sin but gentleness, gentleness, love, care, feeding. Verse 11 points us to what happens at the Lord's table. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. The Lord Jesus at the Lord's table, he feeds you as his flock. He's made you his sheep. By cleansing you from your sin, he has made you the people of God and filled you with his Holy Spirit so that now when you come to him, he doesn't give you wrath. He feeds you with grace. He feeds you with mercy. He takes you up in his arms. He's gentle. Verse 11 is almost absurd in how gentle God is portrayed. When you and I think of God, right? If we have right thoughts about who God is, go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Right, Isaiah's vision, God enthroned in heaven, 
The angels can't even look at him. They're just covering their eyes all the time. They can't bear the sight of such a holy God. And all they do all day and night is just cry out, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. And that God who is so holy that he can't be with sin, he can't tolerate sin, that God who is a consuming fire, the God whom the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That same God gathers little lambs in his arms. He takes you up. Y'all go to the petting zoo sometimes, right? You got like the big animals that you don't really have to be gentle with, but then you get the little tiny baby animals, right? You pick them up. How do you pick up those little animals? You're not rough with them. You, you pick them up so gently. You don't want to scare them, first of all. You don't want to have that freak out moment where the little lamb tries to you know, jump out of your arms and falls. You're gentle. You're so cautious. You're just careful. How do you hold a newborn baby? Right? I, I learned not fearfully. Right? I used to hold little babies fearfully. That's why they cried every time I held them. They could sense that I was nervous and freaking out. For years, every time I tried to hold a baby, within five seconds, they'd scream and cry. As soon as my daughter was born, all of a sudden, I knew how to hold a baby. And she, she never cried. And yet, I was still always so careful with her. I wasn't fearful anymore, but I was still careful, gentle. I didn't throw her around like a football. I was, I was careful with that little girl. That's how God is with you. He's gentle. That's how Christ is with you, Christian. He takes away your sins. He, he pours out wrath on your sins so that with you, he can be gentle and caring and loving. Turn over with me to chapter 42. Just a, a couple pages ahead, probably in your Bible. Look at Isaiah 42. I want you to see these words for yourself. Go to Isaiah 42 and verse 3. One of the Puritans wrote an entire book about this one verse. Puritans did that a lot, by the way. They pick like one verse and just write a whole book about it and just explore all of the little facets of that one verse. I forget who it was. I'm speaking off the top of my head here. But one of the Puritans, I've, I've read the book, wrote an entire book about this one verse. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 3. Speaking about the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. That's how gentle he is. You'll know what reeds are, those little thin, like barely holding together plants. We were up at Lake Michigan this past week, and there's, there's these little plants up in the lake, and they get wet, and they get weak, and they break so easily. Nora could break them. She's picking them up, and they're breaking as soon as she picks them up. She doesn't know to be gentle with them, right? Well, the Bible says that when Jesus handles the bruised reed, the reed that's just barely hanging on, he's so gentle that he does not break the bruised reed. Smoking flax, that little bit of burning material that's just barely got an ember going left, says he doesn't quench it. He doesn't snuff that out. He's so gentle. He's so careful. He is so kind and considerate and loving with you. I know sometimes it might feel like God is handling you roughly, like God is dealing with you harshly. But friends, the reality, if we could peer behind the curtain and see what's really going on, God, his hands are always loving. Right? What did, what did Holly Dunn say in the song? Daddy's hands weren't always gentle. 
But I've come to understand there was always love in Daddy's hands. There's always love in God's hands. Even in those moments like Isaiah had to tell people of God about when God is going to discipline them. Even then, there's love in those hands. And the purpose of his discipline is so that he can bring back the wandering sheep into his flock and feed them like a shepherd. Jesus wants to gather those little lambs with his arms and he takes care of even the weakest ones. That kind of awkward end of the verse there, verse 11. He gently leads those who are with young. Right? Sort of the the weakest, the most precarious sheep, the ones that are in most need. He gently leads them. Christian, God will be gentle with you. John Calvin commented on this verse. And he says, in a word, God will be mild, kind, gentle, and compassionate so that he will not drive the weak harder than they are able to bear. I know that sometimes life feels like it's getting away from you. I feel that too sometimes. You feel like God is putting you in that little snow globe and just shaking you up to see what happens, right? His hands are always full of love. His hands are always doing good for you. Even if it doesn't feel like that in the moment, he is giving you strength and he is going to bring you through it. I want to close this morning and just ask you to look at the end of chapter 40 here. Very famous words. I remember hearing them preached once as a new Christian in my Baptist church back up in Geneva, Illinois. And I didn't understand them at the time, but I thought, wow, that's a really cool little collection of verses. I wonder what they mean. Well, look with me at verse 28. What God does for you, not only at the Lord's table, but all the time as He feeds you as His sheep, what God is doing is He's giving you strength. The strong God is caring for you in your weakness, and He is giving you His own strength. So that as you and I go from the presence of God, we are renewed. Look at what verse 28 says. Have you not known? Have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary? His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. The young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You and I are weak. There's no question about it. But the good news, Christian, is that God gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, He's not only gentle with you, but He gives you strength. Some of you older folks can take that verse 30 and you ought to put it on your fridge. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, right? When it comes to the things of God, age is no consideration. When it comes to the things of God and heaven, human age, nothing. Youths can faint and get weary, but those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. That's what God does for you. Not just at church, not just at the Lord's table, maybe especially there, but all the time as God cares for your soul, He is caring for you in your weakness. He's giving you strength so that He can lead you like a shepherd. So that he can lead you in those green pastures, as David said in Psalm 23. And he will gently lead you, even carrying you in his bosom. Bringing you to his heavenly kingdom. Friends, there is no doubt that God's hands are not always gentle. 
But your Father's hands, your Heavenly Father's hands are always full of love. May we thank Him for it. May we praise Him for it. And may we follow Him for it. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank You for this good word. And Lord, just thank You for the blessing it was even to just prepare this message this week. And Lord, we thank You for how good You are. Lord, You're so wise. Lord, we confess that we are often, uh, Lord, slow, sluggish. We demand one-size-fits-all approaches, but Lord, you are not like that. You care for the very weakest ones. You accommodate even the very weakest souls. You gently lead your sheep. You take up those littlest lambs in your arm, and you carry them in your bosom, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that not just when we hear the word preached, not just when we come to the Lord's table, but all the time what you are doing is you are taking care of our sins, you're putting our sins to death, and you are loving and caring for us. Thank you for the good news, Lord, that we can live separate from our sins, that we can be free from sin, and that in Christ, as we have freedom from sin, we become those little lambs of your flock. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts to receive your gentleness. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of weakness. Help us to remember that, as Paul said, when I am weak, I am strong. When we are weak in ourselves, we are strong in God. And so, Lord, help us be like Paul. Help us boast in our weakness that God might be glorified. As we go into another week, Lord, help us to boast not in ourselves, but in our good friend Jesus who died for us, who lived for us who's coming again for us. Father, we pray that in all these things, you might get glory, that Jesus might be honored. And Lord, as we prepare to begin our new communion practice next Sunday, oh Lord, we pray that when we come to the table, we would come not just hating sin, but loving the Savior. Not just seeking to be free from sin, but seeking to be filled with the very presence of God. Feed us, Lord, feed us like your little sheep that we are. Keep us from wandering. Help us to walk in your righteous paths that in all things we might glorify God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.